All right. Good evening. Wow. This is cool. I could actually get a little excited tonight. I mean, really excited tonight. Yeah. Um, all right. We want to start on time because we want to get you out at 8 o'clock. Um, so we're going to be starting in just a few minutes, but before Seth comes and leads us in some time of worship and then we get into the book of Romans, I just wanted to sort of give a quick commercial, if you will, that also supports our uh, Cornerstone Bookstore, all right? Uh, several of you who've had studies with me in the past have asked uh, what Bible I use and all of that. I use what's called the NET Bible, the NET Bible. It's sort of a cross between the NIV, which is what Pastor Lynn uses, and the New American Standard. We now have these in our Christian bookstore. We have the Reader's Edition, which is what I use like to speak from. And then we also have the Study Edition with 75,000 notes in it. All right? Uh, so I use this one to study with. I use this one to like speak with and, and read with and whatever. Both of these are in our bookstore over there. Uh, these are great gifts. Christmas is only 128 days away, you know. So, all right. And then, many people have asked me since I have come on staff at Cornerstone, uh, if I could recommend one book to someone to begin to get an understanding of the Bible, uh, to begin to learn the Bible. Maybe you don't have a big Bible background. Maybe you're a new believer in Christ and you're just getting started in understanding the Bible. What would, along with your Bible, be the one book that I would recommend? It's this. It's called What the Bible is All About, Bible Handbook, by a gal by the name of Henrietta Mears. We have these. We've got like seven copies over there in our bookstore, but we can always order more. Uh, so if any of you would like these, these are, this is a great book. It goes through every book of the Bible. It will help you. If you've never had a good resource to sort of help with your study of the Bible, this is the first one I would recommend. What the, and maybe you know of somebody that this isn't for you, but again, a great gift I would highly recommend What the Bible is All About by Henrietta Mears. It is an awesome, awesome, awesome book. All right? So, I've given enough commercials. We are thrilled once again this year to have Seth Wells with us leading us in worship. Yeah, yeah. Let me just say this about this young man. He not only is a great musician and, and all of that, but here's the big thing about Seth. He loves the Lord with all his heart, and he lives his faith. That's what makes him a great worship leader. That's what makes, you know, someone like Seth that God can use to help us to... And this is why we're doing this. We've all had a long day, work, whatever we've been part of. We want to take now the next few moments before we get into the Word of God, and we want to just worship the Lord and prepare our hearts and minds for what God has for us to receive tonight. And we got some good stuff to give you tonight. All right? So let's give it up for Seth tonight, and let's get worshiping the Lord tonight. But in the New Testament book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul tells Timothy to train yourself for godliness. And the word train is the word Greek word gymnazo, where we get our word gymnasium from. 
And, and one of the things that uh, Paul's saying there is, you know what? Sometimes we've got to go into that spiritual training in order to get ourselves spiritually in shape and to maintain our spiritual shape. So just look at it tonight that you're coming into the, to the spiritual sauna, if you will. And, and hopefully when we leave here, we're going to get into some spiritual shape. And just look at it this way too. I'm going to be sweating more than you guys are. All right? So we'll just we'll go there. All right. Book of Romans. Listen, guys, I'm excited about this fall's study uh, because we're going to be in the book of Romans from now till we break uh, for the holidays early December. And then we'll do another book of the Bible uh, starting at the end of January and running through the springtime. But the book of Romans is just an awesome book. And here's how I've been promoting it, as you've probably heard at the verbals and everything else. The book of Romans tells us what a life defined by God looks like. Um, one of the things I've always encouraged people is don't let yourself, don't let others define who you are or what you become in life. Let God alone define you. He's your creator. He has this wonderful plan and purpose for your life. Let him alone be the one to define who you are. So what's that look like? Well, let's get into it tonight. Let me just read the first four verses of Romans chapter one. From Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was a descendant of David with reference to the flesh, who was appointed the son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. First of all, the book of Romans, more than any other book in the Bible, uses the word God. God is central here. I mean, he is obviously in all the Bible, but Paul wants us to know it's all about God. And a life defined by God uh, is one that God is not just part of our life, not just, you know, Jesus isn't just that thing that we add to all these other things in our life. Jesus Christ is our life. Amen? He is our life. He, he's not, you know, a lot of times today, people even come to a church like this, they hear about Jesus, they've got all these other cool things in their life, and oh, Jesus, yeah, He sounds pretty cool. I'll just sort of add Him to the plethora of other things I'm doing and other people I'm in and other belief systems that I'm in. He, you know, it's a good addition. No. Jesus demands everything from us. And He is absolutely everything to us. He is our, our life, our breath, our everything. And that's why He's so key. In fact, in verse 4, you will notice the word appointed or the word declared in your Bible there, in your translation. That word in verse 4 is the Greek word horizo, where we get the word horizon from. Very, very important. Because the horizon line is that sort of imaginary line that separates the, the earth from the sky, if you will. And here's what God is saying about His own Son, Jesus Christ. That in a sense, He is history's dividing line. He is history's horizon. And every human being who's ever been born is going to be defined by their relationship to Jesus Christ whether they have a relationship with Him or whether they don't, and that choice is up to them, but Jesus Christ is that horizon, that dividing line. I'm hoping that everyone in this room, you've said yes to Jesus in your life. And if you haven't, 
I would certainly encourage you to continue to think about that and, and, and investigate that. I, I don't think you'll find uh, a better decision in your life than saying yes to Jesus Christ. I mean, even our calendar system uh, sort of even reminds us that Jesus is sort of a dividing line. Because even in history, in our calendar system, we have B.C., before Christ, and we have A.D., everything that happens after Christ, if you will. And so Jesus Christ, even in history, becomes sort of this horizon line, this dividing line that goes down through history. That's what Paul is saying here. He was declared, he was appointed as God's horizon, God's dividing line. And which side of that line, in a sense, are you on tonight? Because no matter what side you're on, that is defining who you are. Because Jesus himself said in the Gospels, if you're not with me, you're against me. And it might not be, in your mind, an, an active enmity against Jesus Christ, but Jesus says, if you're not with me, you're against me, because you have chosen not to cross that horizon line and say yes to Jesus Christ. He's appointed or he's declared that line in history. But you'll also notice in verse four, it goes beyond that. And here's the exciting news for Christians. He is appointed the son of God in or with power. And one of the main themes that runs throughout the book of Romans, folks, is this. That as a Christian, here's the great thing. That when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, my position changed in the sense that now I became a child of God. And positionally, my status changed. But practically, nothing changed. I was still Jeff Royce the day after I accepted Christ as my Savior 30-some years ago as I was the day before, all right? But God didn't want me to stay that way. God wanted me to become like Jesus Christ in all the ways that I could become like Jesus Christ. That's why, just let me real quickly say this. Hopefully this does not confuse you. Hopefully this helps some understanding. When we use the word salvation, all right, as Christians... Here's what we have to understand in order to understand the Bible and so it doesn't confuse us. The Bible was written in the Greek language because the Greek language was the most precise language. And like Lynn has even said, you know, in our language in English, there's one word for love. In the Greek language, there's four or five different words you could use for love because it all has a different twist to it. Same thing is true with salvation. We've got one word for salvation in English, but in the Greek language, there's different sort of tenses to salvation. Hang in there with me, okay? I, don't, I want you to... So when I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, here's what happens. I, at that point, change position. The Bible says in the book of Romans, I now have peace with God, and I am saved at that point from the penalty of sin, which is an eternity apart from God. Alright, that happens the second I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. But, now, after I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and, and, and in the book of Romans, as you read the book of Romans, that part of salvation is used by the word justified. So if you've been reading the book of Romans and you've read the word justified or justification, this big theological word, or in my translation it says declared righteous, that's that initial salvation moment. But then... There's what we call in theology, the second tense of salvation, sanctification, where, okay, I don't just become a Christian and that's it. 
No, as we say, salvation isn't the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of this wonderful relationship with God. It allows me to become all that God created me to be. And God now wants me through this process of my salvation to become like Jesus Christ and to to see that through my relationship with Christ, the power of sin has been broken in my life. And that's why, like on Sunday... Lynn could tell people, you come forward. Because if you come to God, you will find a God who can not only give you the information you need in order to navigate these things that that provide a barrier between us and God and us and other people, but we can find the power to overcome these things and see victory in our life. Huge! That's what sanctification is. It is that lifelong process of seeing God break sin's power in our life and see us see victory in our life over these things that become barriers to us and God and us to other people. Then the last tense of salvation, the one I'm looking forward to, is glorification. That's when I see Jesus in heaven. That's when not only am I saved from the penalty of sin, the first part, but I am saved from the power of sin, That's the part you and I are living in right now, and that's what the whole book of Romans is about. But then one day I'm going to be saved from the very presence of sin, and I'm going to be in a place called heaven where there is no more sin, no more death, no more... It's going to be all good at that point. Alright? Now, are we okay there? Okay? Salvation, but yet... There's the moment I accept Christ, salvation, but then there's the sanctification part of salvation where sin's power is becoming less of a hold in my life and where I'm allowing the power of God to overcome these things in my life that are barriers. And then one day I'm looking forward to the last part, which is glorification. And we're going to talk about all those throughout the book of Romans. But the main thing, and why this book is so practical to where you and I live on an everyday basis as Christians, is primarily what this book is reminding us of here, is that when the Son of God was appointed that horizon line, that dividing line of history, that He was also set out for us by God the Father to say, you can look to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, at any time, to get the power that you and I need to break the bonds of sin and to see victory in our life so that we don't have to live under the bondage of sin any longer. It's a beautiful picture of how when we come to Christ, the chains that are wrapped around us because of sin are broken. And now we reign with Christ and we don't have to let those things dominate us anymore. The only thing that we have to let dominate us anymore is the power of God. The power of God. In fact, that's why if you go over to verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of God, for it is the power of God to salvation. And and a lot of times when people would read or study the book of Romans, they thought uh, chapter 1 verse 16 was talking about that initial part of salvation where we're bringing people to know Jesus Christ. No. No, he's not talking about justification there. He's talking about sanctification. And he's saying that God gives us the power to, again, break sin's grip and to experience all that God has for us. For verse 17 says, For the righteousness of God is revealed in the Gospel from faith to faith. From the moment I accepted Jesus Christ, that faith to the faith that I'm living by now. Because notice in verse 17, here's what he says. 
The righteous live by faith. You see, this isn't, this isn't about what happened in the past. This is about the right here and now. And if I have enough faith to believe that if I go to God and say, God, I need your help, I need your power, that God will give me that power and wants to give me that power and has all power so that there's nothing that I deal with down here on earth that I could ever go to God and say, God, I need your help. And God would turn around and go, I can't help you. I, I don't have enough power to be able to help you overcome that. You see, our God is so great and so awesome because He's all-powerful that there is nothing, nothing, my friends, that His power cannot help you overcome. Yeah. I mean, that's what we need to have. Christians, Christians need to hear that. Because like there through this series, I personally have dealt with people, Christians, who have that hopeless look in in their eyes. It's like, I've got something that's gnawing at me and I, I just, I can't do it. Part of what I say to them is, you know, probably where you've been going at this, because I've heard this over the years, Pastor Jeff, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to overcome it. I'm, I'm trying to do better. I'm try- and I say, it's not in trying. Trying will always leave you defeated. Trying will always leave you frustrated. It's not in trying. It's in what? It's in training. It's what we talked about at the very beginning. You see, I could, I could say, you know what? I'm interested in a 26-mile marathon. I'm going to really try to run. <laughs> and I could maybe go out tomorrow and go, I'm going to give up my best shot. I'm going to try to run that 26-mile marathon. Do you know how far I'd get? About 10 feet. I'm out. You know. I tried. Yeah, but it's not in trying. But now, if I say this, next year at this time... I'm going to enter a marathon, and beginning today, I'm going to go into strict training. Man, I'm going to, I'm going to change my diet. I'm going, to, I'm going to start availing myself of all the physical uh, resources that I can to get in the best shape. I'm going to do the cardio. I mean, I'm going to work my way. I'm going to train myself over the next year. Now, maybe in one year, I still can't achieve 26 miles, but I'll get a lot further in training than I did in trying. And that's what Christians have to see. That it's not in trying. If, if you've been trying and you are you're frustrated and you're, you know, up there with defeat all the time, then don't try anymore. Don't try anymore. Go into training. And I realize it's just like an, an Olympic athlete. All right. When, when they set a goal in mind for their life to be a world class athlete and go into training. Hey, there's a lot of days where they might not feel like going down and lifting weights and getting in the gym and, and all of that. But it's discipline. And it's doing it every day whether I feel like doing it or not. Because, again, as a Christian, I'm not driven by my feelings. I'm driven by what? Faith. I'm driven by the fact that if I just do what God tells me to do and trust Him that this is what I need to do, that in time, the results are going to show up. Just like the athlete. I may be out of shape now, but if I go into training, even in a couple of weeks, I'm going to begin to see some progress. And in a couple of months, even more progress. And that's going to encourage me to keep on going. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. For the last 33 years, I have gotten up every day and studied the Bible for a couple hours every day. Now, I, I just say that because it's, there's a lot of times where <clears throat> don't, I don't feel like it, but I do it. Because I have realized over the years that it provides what I need to stay in spiritual shape. 
And that's what it's all about. And God can give us that power. That power is available to us. And that's one of the main themes of the book of Romans. Just a couple other things. You'll notice then if you go back to verse 1, Paul wraps his life then around a person. Again, Jesus Christ isn't part of his life. Jesus Christ is his life. Notice what he says. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. I am totally committed to whatever mission God has for me. I am called to be an apostle. I am set apart for the gospel of God. And and a life defined by God is simply this. That whatever God has called you to as far as vocation, whether it be a mom, a dad, a plumber, an engineer, a school teacher, it doesn't matter what the vocation is. That you and I as Christians are set apart to the gospel of God. And what that simply means is that I get up every day no matter what my earthly vocation is, and my number one vocation is to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And when God gives me the opportunity to share His Word and encourage people with the power that that God has given me, I'll take that opportunity. No, I I use wisdom. We don't ram it down people's throats and, and we certainly aren't obnoxious about it and all that. But when God gives us those doors of opportunity, we are set apart for the Gospel of God and we're going to share. We're going to share why. Notice what Paul says in verse 14. Because I'm obligated. Notice he says in verse 14, I consider myself a debtor. A debtor to Greeks, to barbarians, to the wise, to the foolish. In other words, every strata of society, I feel an obligation to to share this. Why? Because it's the best news they'll ever hear. Because it's really what they're searching for, even if they don't know they're searching for it. It's like if one of us had the cure for cancer and kept it to ourselves. How sad would that be? You know, if, if somehow God gave you... a a cure to help people with cancer, and you kept that to yourself, that would be unbelievably a, a, a tragedy. It would be so sad. Well, guess what, folks? We have the good news to be able to share with people to not only bring them into a personal relationship with God, but then even cooler than that, we have the information to give them the power that they need in order to navigate this life and see victory in their life rather than defeat. And let's face it, one of the reasons why we live in a world of addiction today, and I don't care what kind of addiction you're talking about, is because people are looking for something to cope and something to deaden the pain of life, and they're, they're looking for something, and so they just latch on to any and every and anyone and whatever. And the power is there all the time. Why not share it? Why not share it? Let me just... I'm sorry. Just a little bit more. And then I'll stop. Verse 5. That's important too. Because whatever God calls us to do, here's again, God gives us the enablement to do it. Notice what Paul says. A life defined by God is not only knowing what God wants me to do at that particular time, but to know that He's going to back me up and have my back and give me all the grace and power that I need. Notice verse 5. Through Him, Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received grace and our apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles on behalf of His name. He said earlier, God called me to be an apostle, but He didn't leave me hanging out there in order to swim the apostle life by myself. No, He gave me the grace to do it. And we've all talked in here before, if you've had any studies with me, to know that grace is one of those key words in the Bible. 
It, it, it basically means it's the power to do what God is asking me to do so that I never have to say, well, God, you're, you're calling me to do this, but you're not enabling me. That will never be true of our God. Whatever God is asking of you to do, He will give you the grace to match it. And His grace is amazing as we sing around here. His grace is wonderful. His grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. Amen? Amen. And any of us who've ever experienced God's grace can just testify to the fact that it didn't matter what we were going through in our life, God's grace more than matched it. And that's what Paul's saying here. That's what a life defined by God is. I never have to live one second of one day in my own power. I'm always living in the power of God. Or could be, because He's the Son of God with power. He was appointed and declared that. He was set there as the great marking line of history, dividing everything. And Paul says, that's why I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. It is the power of God. For this part of salvation, it helps, it helps every day. All right, before we go on, I do take time to stop during the mind to ask if there's any comments or questions, so here's the time. You got 30, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got so much I want to, do you guys realize I've got like 20 more times of stuff that I would like to share that I just, I just don't, I just, it's so frustrating, but anyway, anyway, all right, comments, questions, anyone? I am using the NET Bible. Um, It is a cross between the NIV and the New American Standard. It is the newest sort of good translation out there. Uh, And I just, it's not anything against the NIV or the New American Standard, even the New King James, but I just, I like it. I, I will say this too, just as far as studying the Bible. Every once in a while, it's good after a couple of years of using one good translation to switch them. It sort of gives you a little bit of a different feel and sort of, sometimes helps boost that devotions and your Bible study. So I, I do that as well. I was using uh, the New American Standard for a while, New King James for a while, NIV for a while, and then switched to this. And it just helps see some things. Yeah, anything else? I'll try to calm down a little bit. <laughs> All right, I'm moving on. Uh, the one thing I want to point out is this. A lot of people, when they look at the book of Romans... You know, you've heard of things like the Romans Road and things like that. A lot of people approach the book of Romans as primarily a book to unsaved people, to help lead them to a personal relationship with God. What we're going to learn in here is, folks, that's not true. Most of everything written in the book of Romans is not written to unbelievers. It's written to believers. And it's about overcoming the grip of sin in our life and seeing the power of God operating on our life in, our da- in a daily basis. And I-, I can, I think, prove that to you, because look at verse 7 and, and verse 8. Paul says who he's writing to, To all those loved by God in Rome, called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed throughout the whole world. Is he talking to Christians there? Yeah. This letter is written to Christians. And that's one of the key things. When you study the Bible, you usually find out at the very beginning of every letter or book in the Bible who the audience is. And when you determine who the audience is, that helps in the context of being able to interpret it properly. Because obviously, if you're coming at a book saying, this book is primarily written to non-Christians, that's going to have a whole different look than this book is primarily written to Christians. So just... 
And that, I hate, but that book, What the Bible is All About, about how, that goes into that kind of stuff. Very, very helpful. All right. Notice verse 9. Another thing that defines us. What does a life defined by God look, look like? Well, first of all, it's all wrapped up in a person. The person of Jesus Christ. It's wrapped up in a purpose. Because when, def- when I let God define my life, He gives my life purpose. It, and it may not be, you know, you may be looking at it, well, what's He calling me to specifically as far as vocation? Listen, God isn't as concerned about what vocation you do as much as you're just willing every day to be set apart for the Gospel of God. And if God wants to use you here at that time doing it, whatever, that's the purpose God has for you. And then the next thing we talked about was the power. That's a life defined by God. In fact, you know what? This just reminded me. Keep your finger there in Romans. I've got to show you this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Here's a great verse. Talking about the power of God. I love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Do you ever run into somebody who... They had all the, the talk. And that was about it. <laughs> And they knew all what I call the Christianese type, you know, they knew all the words to say, and they could even throw out words like justification, sanctification, and you're like, whoa, pretty good, you know. You must be a Christian type of thing. But here's what the Bible says. Notice 1 Corinthians 4.20, what Paul says to the Corinthians. The kingdom of God is demonstrated not in idle talk, but with what? Power. 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 It's demonstrated in the power of God flowing in us and through us every day, enabling us to live the kind of... Again, to break sin's grip. Sin can have such a grip on our lives. We know that through things like even this series, where people realize, you know what? I didn't start out intending this to have such a hold on my life. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when you and I allow sin to come in a little bit, guess what? It wraps itself around us like a boa constrictor. In fact, the book of Proverbs says this, that a man who opens himself up to sin is held by the cords of his own sin. It's almost like he's wrapped around it like a rope. And pretty soon, it's got him bound. It's the picture of Lazarus coming out of the grave. He was bound in his grave clothes. And that's why Jesus says, take those clothes off, loose him and set him free. Because Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, you'll be free indeed. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And God wants His children to be free from the bondages of sin. And not only from the bondages of sin, but from the consequences of sin. He doesn't want us to have to deal with that in the here and now. Now, back to Romans chapter 1, verse 9. So what's a life defined by God look like? Also this, it's defined by a passion. Because notice Paul says in chapter 1, verse 9, For God whom I serve in my spirit. The NIV says with my whole heart, right? Yeah. Which is a good translation. He's saying, listen, the motivation for what I do and why I do it and how I do it doesn't come from any external source. I'm not doing it because I'm guilted into doing it. I'm not doing it because 12 people at church asked me to do it and so I felt obligated to do it just to help out. No, no, no. He says, there's a fire burning inside of me. 
It is an internal motivation because of my love for God and because of what God has done for me, what God is doing for me. And I am motivated within my own human spirit from within. And, and, and I've got this passion that just, he says, I just can't contain myself. That's huge. Because guys, if we're not excited about our God, we're not excited about our relationship with God. We're not excited about knowing God and serving God and living for God. How can we expect those people out there who don't know God to get excited about Him? Those of you that were here for summer Bible study, you remember the last night we were together. I danced. In fact, I think half of you came just to see Pastor Jeff dance, which it wasn't a dance. Trust me, I, I can't dance. But I do get excited about God. I get excited about the Scriptures. I get excited about what God's doing in my life. And I get excited about what I know God can do in your life. I mean, just the fact that... Look at this. I mean, to see this room filled with people who want to study the Word of God and really get into it and really just sink... That's just huge. And God will bless you for it through this heat and through the cramped conditions, all of that. And we'll see what we can do to try to figure this thing out on Tuesday. You know, whatever we have to do, because we understand, we want to try to provide a comfortable place as well, as much as we possibly can. Part of the problem is God is blessing us around here so much, we're running out of space already. In fact, just to let you know, uh, Lynn was talking to uh, the pastors today uh, and directors about, uh, yeah, we're having to start looking at expansion again, but don't talk to anybody about that. And you didn't hear that from me. Another thing that defines our life is when God brings people into our life that just make a difference. We all can begin to think about people in our lives that we, they were a gift from God. I mean, here, here's what you have to hear tonight. You are a gift from God. And you can be a gift from God to somebody else's life. And here's why. Notice what Paul says in verse well, let me start with verse 9 again. For God whom I serve in my spirit by preaching the gospel of His Son is my witness that I continually remember you. I'm always asking in my prayers that perhaps now at last I might succeed in visiting you according to the will of God. For notice what he says in verse 11 and 12. For I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually comforted by one another's faith, both yours and mine. That's beautiful. Paul says, I don't want to just come just because, you know, I know I'm going to be able to help encourage and strengthen you, but I know you all in Rome well enough to know that when we get together, God's going to use me to encourage and strengthen you, and God's going to use you to encourage and strengthen me. And that's the beauty of relationships. That when we have those kind of relationships in our life, where we see that God just brings people into our life as a gift, to be able to, again, we don't let people define who we are, but we should allow God to bring certain people into our life to help define us as God wants to. And sometimes, you know what, let me just say this. Some of the people that God allows to come into our life, we don't like. We could speak about that for a long time. <laughs> but here's the thing. God in His wisdom knows that that person can help maybe 
chisel off some of the rough edges that need chiseled off in my character or in my life, and actually they're going to benefit me. I don't look at them that way, but <laughs> God does. But that, and we've got, so that's why I say we've got to let God, again, be the ultimate definer of our life. And when He wants to bring people into our life, we know that even the people that, in a sense, we don't always like in our life are people that God can use to strengthen us. Because as we've all talked before, sometimes our strengthening doesn't just come from the good times and all of that, but sometimes it comes from the pain of life. You know, trees get stronger in their root systems because of the wind that they have to put up with all the time. So sometimes that's the way it is. I do not want you, he goes on to say in verse 13, to be unaware, brothers and sisters, how I often wanted to come. I've been prevented now. On and on. I'm eager to preach the gospel. Why? Verse 17. For the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. That God is right. God is right. And righteous. Let me just say something here too. It's very important that we as Christians remind ourselves every day that when we accept Christ as our Savior, not only should we look at it from a negative viewpoint, what I mean by that is that all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. Boom. Clean slate. Boom. It's gone. Okay? God's forgiveness. Total, complete forgiveness. Gone. We focus so much on that that we don't focus on the positive side. And the positive side is, not only when I accept Christ as my Savior... Are my sins forgiven? But God gives me a righteousness that's not mine. He gives me His righteousness. In fact, that's the only reason I can have the position with God that I do. Because obviously when I become a Christian, I'm still Jeff Royce and I've still got the old nature and I still sin. Now the one thing is different though. I have now a power principle living within me that I don't have to serve sin and sin doesn't have to dominate my life and I can see victory over sin. But the old nature is still there and it's still going to pull. So positionally, the reason I can stand and have even access to God and pray and all that is because I'm clothed in the righteousness of God. Turn to 2 Corinthians. I've got to show you this. This is just too important. If this verse doesn't get you to start saying hallelujah, I'm telling you. It's just... 2 Corinthians 5.21 In fact, here's a verse that when you meditate on this verse as a Christian, I don't know about you, but it brings tears to my eyes. When you think about the depth of what God has done for us, just in this verse, it's just... It just blows my mind. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. Now just, wow. Jesus Christ was willing to become sin? Yeah. To take the penalty because there was a barrier between me and God. That barrier was sin. And there was no way, if God was going to stay a righteous God, that He could just ignore it. If He ignored our sin and just said, oh, it's okay, I'll just have a relationship with you anyway, He would have ceased to be God. 
Because he would have ceased to be holy. He would have ceased to be righteous. The only way God could continue to be righteous and forgive us is to give somebody the penalty. To have somebody take our penalty on himself. And Jesus Christ, long ago, the Bible says in eternity, says, I'll take their penalty. I'll go to the cross. Pour out all their sin on me. Remember the Easter service we had here? Where all the drums were trying to illustrate the sin of all humanity of all time coming at one point on the cross of Christ and how powerful that was? 2 Corinthians 5.21. But then it goes beyond that. So that in Him... It's not just, oh, we get our sins forgiven because He became sin. No, so that in Him we would become the righteousness of God. See, God wants His children to be like Him in the ways that we can be like Him. Now, we'll never be all-powerful. We'll never be all-knowing. We'll never be, be able to be omniscient and know all things and omnipresent and be everywhere at the same time. Those are what we call the incommunicable attributes of God. That's what separates God from the rest of His creation. That's what makes Him God. But there are communicable attributes of God. Like the fruit of the Spirit. God is love. We can love. Joy. He's joy. We can be joy. He forgives. We can forgive. He shows mercy. He expects His children to show mercy. So there's ways that we can, in a sense, flesh out to this world what our God is like in many ways. That's why Jesus Christ came. It wasn't just to take the penalty and to forgive us of our sins, but was to create in us a righteousness and to give us that righteousness so that we could overcome. Wow. that just So don't forget, when you wake up tomorrow, it's not that your sins are forgiven, but you walk out of that house. You've you got the righteousness of God. It's not yours. It's, it's, it's His. And He gave it to you as a gift. How good is that? Back to Romans chapter 1. So here's where we end tonight. Very important passage of Scripture. Very key in our understanding of the book of Romans. Because many people, when they come to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, they think that this verse is again talking about unbelievers. When it talks about the wrath of God. First of all, we don't like to talk about the wrath of God. That sounds like something Old Testament. Where God opened up the earth and swallowed people and stuff. Wrath of God. Folks, first of all, let, let's just... Let's just... Bad, bad. We've got we've to come up with a new understanding of wrath. When we think of wrath, we think of the human emotion of like an angry outburst and losing tempers and throwing things and all this kind of stuff. That is not the wrath of God. In line with the fact that God is holy and righteous, here's what the wrath of God is. The wrath of God is simply His settled disposition against any sin because sin opposes God. And if God would not demonstrate His wrath against sin, again, then guess what? He would cease to be righteous. He would cease to be holy. He would cease to be God. So when the Bible talks about God's wrath, here's something we've got to wrap our minds around. And this may be something new for some of you here tonight. God's wrath, the Bible says in verse 18, is not just revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of unbelievers. That's not what that verse says. 
Notice what the verse says. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against some ungodliness and unrighteousness of people. No, my Bible says all. And all means all, and that's all all means. <laughs> and so here's what that means. Hang in there with me, because this is, this is very important to the whole understanding of the book of Romans. That's why in this book, Paul is hammering the theme of the power of God to break sin's power, to break the shackles of sin, to break the bondage of sin, because God and Paul doesn't want to see Christians have to suffer the natural, if you will, consequences of choices that they make that are disobedience against God, that God's wrath is just going to have to be there. You see, this passage, beginning in verse 18, isn't just talking about the consequences of sin that people who don't know God deal with. It's just talking about the consequences of sin, period, across the board, against all ungodliness. Listen, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. And God's power is within me. But if I choose to disobey God and I choose to sin, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be consequences. Now, positionally, see, here's where positionally, I'm a child of God and I've got the righteousness of God and I'm on my way to heaven. I understand that, but you've got to understand that's that tense where I became a Christian. But I'm, what I'm living now is what's called sanctification, where I'm becoming like Jesus Christ. And so during my lifetime, if I choose to rebel against God and I choose to go my own way and I choose to sin, guess what's going to happen? God, and God's wrath is simply the temporal consequences of my choice to disobey God. That's all it is. Don't make it any more than that. No, God's wrath is not a lightning bolt coming out of heaven and frying me. But God's wrath is this. Let me just, again, I think this, it's great that Lynn gives me all these illustrations. From Lynn's message on Sunday. If I choose to do it my way rather than God's way, guess what? My tape isn't going to be very sticky. And guess what? God, that's God's, that's the natural, temporal, earthly consequence of me disobeying God. My tape isn't sticky. It has nothing to do with eternity, folks, because Jesus Christ paid for my sin as far as eternity goes. I don't have to worry about that. But what I do have to deal with is the here and now, and living the life. And that's why Paul concentrates on this power of God because he says, you understand, Christian, that you have available to you a power that can help you break the grip of sin and you don't have to choose sin. And it's not like sin is this master over you and this king that reigns over you. No, my Bible tells me I have a king who reigns over me. His name is Jesus Christ and He has all power and all authority and there's nothing... Nothing that I come in contact with that He can't overcome. Amen. So here's what I want to share about this last passage in chapter 1. A life defined by God is a life of protection then from the temporal consequences of sin. Because here's what happens, the Bible says in Romans 1. If I even as a Christian choose to do my own thing and go my own way and sin, God takes His protection, in a sense, off my life and allows me to suffer the consequences temporally on earth of that choice. 
That's why you'll see three times in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 24 is the first time it's used, this four-word phrase. Therefore, God gave them over in the desires of their hearts. Notice verse 26. God gave them over to dishonorable passions. Verse 28. God gave them over. And what that phrase simply means is, if you, even as a Christian, want to choose to disobey and sin, God will remove the protection off your life and allow you and I to suffer the temporal consequences of that disobedience against Him. Because He has no other... He is a righteous, holy God. And if He just allows sin to just go and not deal with it, He's not righteous. And Paul says from the very beginning of this book that we've got to remember that the righteousness of God is revealed. One of the things that God wants to get across to humankind from the beginning of history is, I'm right and you're wrong. And you need to just buy into the way I look at things. Because I'm always right. And if you come to a point in your life where you go, God, I don't think you really know what you're talking about. I think I know best and I'm going to go down this road. God lets us go because He gives us a free will. But then He's going to say, I'm going to take my protection off and you're going to suffer the temporal consequences of that choice. Now, Paul says, Christian, you don't want to be in that position over and over again in your life and you don't have to be because the power of God is available to you. And the power of God can keep us, not only can, can break the power of sin in our life, but can keep us from suffering the temporal consequences of sin. And, and what God wants to get us to see is that we don't get to the point where we have to keep sort of, you know, beating ourselves up and learning the lessons the hard way, but just hear the voice of God and the leading of God and just go after Him. Because God says, isn't it easier just to find out what I say about these things in my Word and listen to my Spirit and be led that way than to always learn the lesson the hard way? Yeah. But we all know there's some people that that's the only way they learn is the hard way. And God says, okay. The cool thing is our God is so loving and so wise that even when we have to learn by beating sometimes our life up against a wall that it produces so much pain and I'm suffering so much pain because of the consequences and the choices that I've made that it turns me back to God and says, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. Okay, I'm going to listen to you. And God's always there. Because see, even in the consequences... The consequences that He sets up for us are not there to destroy us or to defeat us. They're there to try to turn our heart back to Him. And to come back to see, Yep, God, I acknowledge You're right. I was wrong. Protection. That's huge. Don't minimize the fact that a life defined by God is a life of protection where if you just obey what God says, He'll protect you from the temporal consequences. That's why some people say, you know, it's not that, it's not that some... It, look, every Christian, we all have life to deal with. But we also know that there are Christians out there, it seems like their life is just always like topsy-turvy and just vroom, you know. One crisis after another one. Why? Because the protection's not there. 
They have chosen to do their own thing, to go their own way, and God says, guess what? My wrath is revealed. It's there. It's there. So don't go that way. What if they haven't what? It could. But I'm also not saying this. I'm not saying that everything bad that happens to us happens because of sin. I'm not saying that. As I said, life happens. And we all know as Christians, we can be obedient. Like many people in the Bible, they suffered because it was a way God used to strengthen them. Just like sometimes the people that God brings into our life. But yeah, great point, Nancy. We all know that we don't sin in a vacuum. And so my sin affects other people, right? I mean, I I can't sin, okay, as a pastor of this church. Terrible illustration. Say I go out and and I have an affair. How is that not only going to blow up my family, how is that going to affect everybody that knows me at this church and looks at me as a spiritual leader and stuff? See, you and I don't sin in a vacuum. The choices that we make affect other people all the time. Yeah, and we have to, and again, that's a deterrent, hopefully, to keep us from making those decisions, realizing that the decisions I make don't just affect me, they affect everyone around me. Yeah, yeah. Again, not everything we go through is because of sin, but in this case, again, just Romans 1 context, if I choose to just willfully disobey, I know it's willful disobedience. God's Word says this, and I say, no, I'm going this way. You know, well, then, when they begin to suffer consequences for that decision, that's what verse 18 is talking about. It's more, I think, just turning around. It's, it's that repentance of saying, okay, God, I was like the prodigal son. I was going down this road. I started suffering consequences. God, I'm going back to my father. And the moment we turn, I believe God's protection's back on us. Yeah. Let me share one other verse with you, and then I'm going to have to close, because I promise to let you guys out on time so you'll come back. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is, again, this is to illustrate the key theme throughout this that you guys are hopefully going to be encouraged by week in and week out. Notice what Paul says in Romans 5, 8 and 9. Verse 8, he's talking about justification. The time where we came to know Christ. Verse 9 is where he's talking about sanctification. And notice what he says. But God demonstrates His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm a sinner, but Christ died for me. But if I accept Him, okay, justified, I have a personal relationship with Him. Now, notice the much more. Very emphatic in the Greek language. Verse 9. Much more then, because we have now been declared righteous by His blood or justified. Or we use the word saved. We've come into a personal relationship. Notice, we will be saved through Him from God's wrath. Well, that phrase isn't talking about being justified or saved or having my sins. That's already happened. That last phrase of verse 9, again, is talking about the sanctification piece of my salvation. Where I am every day, in a sense, saved from God's wrath by having this power of God supplied to me so that I can break the grip of sin, so I can avoid the temporal consequences of God's wrath on sin and disobedience, and so I can live an overall victorious Christian life to the glory of God. Guys, you have been awesome. You've been terrific. Meet me back here next Tuesday, I pray. Let's close in prayer. Yes. What? 
222 people in this room. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Guys, I love you. I hope you'll hang in there with us. I think I, I got some stuff that can really encourage you. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank You for this time together tonight. We just pray that You would encourage us by Your Spirit and through Your Word. We thank You, Father, for the tremendous turnout tonight. And we pray that each of us would have a training mentality. God, that we would go into training rather than trying. And God, we would allow the power of God through the Son of God appointed with power, with all power, to be the one that enables us to just live the life every day. Help us not to go one step in our own power, but allow Your power to flow through us on a daily basis. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, have a great week.